1: Namaste, yogis. This is Andrew Seely, and welcome to the Yoga Revealed Podcast. Today, we caught up with Mackenzie Miller, a personal trainer turned yogi, Fit Flow Strong co-creator, and international yoga teacher whose physical practice is a mere reflection of her meditative, fun-loving personality.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of not relationships, but real relationships and being able to keep it real with people Whether you know them intimately or not.
1: Be prepared to dive deep and take the leap on this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast with Mackenzie Miller. A lovely Monday indeed. I sit across from the one and only Mackenzie Miller.
0: So exciting.
1: I'm really excited (laughs) to have you on and absolutely blissed out to have your acquaintance, your friendship, and I'm excited to talk more about you. (laughs) And what makes you the awesome person that you are, the awesome teacher, and the amazing yoga practitioner that you are. Um, let's just hop right into it. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask, when was yoga first revealed to you?
0: When I was in college, is my first interaction with the practice of yoga. I was a personal trainer and group exercise instructor at my, my university. And so I often would take all of the classes offered just to experience what else is out there in the fitness world. And I took uh, yoga for the first time. And I had uh, one teacher who uh, really called to me because he did a lot of arm balances and I don't even remember inversions because at that time, arm balances were way over my head. So that was enough for me to even focus on. And then I had a, a much more traditional um, Indian yoga teacher that it was like more about, it was more the stretching type of yoga that I think most people think of when they think of yoga hmm. um, is less asana related and more about being present.
1: Awesome. So, your first yoga classes were more asana related, and then you had an Indian teacher who revealed more of the was it more of the chanting, more of the mantra was no, it no more...
0: it was still asana based, mm-hmm. but uh, it was less vinyasa and more hatha. He was definitely more of a hatha teacher
1: hmm. and did that encourage you to deepen your practice of yoga?
0: It honestly fed my ego a little bit, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, because I've been naturally, naturally flexible—not in an extreme way—but I've always had a healthy range of motion, and he often used me as the the demo of <laughs> what uh-huh. things should look like. So I liked it. Um, yeah, it's probably why I kept going because I had a good good experiences on both ends. They're both male teachers, which is interesting uh, looking back at it. Mm -hmm.
1: I feel like, at least for my practice, my first um, teacher was a male, but I feel that I gravitate more towards female teachers, which is kind of funny, I would say, for like the opposite sex, you gravitate towards a teacher that is of the opposite sex, I would say. Or do you feel that?
0: It's interesting because I... I do lean towards male teachers in some ways and then find inspiration in female teachers in a completely different way.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, I can align with that as well. Yeah. So who would you say are some of the teachers that most inspire you today?
0: Um, well, Tiffany Cruikshank is who I've studied with the most the only person I've truly studied with um, and invested a lot of my time and energy and as well as money. And I think it's one of the best investments I've made throughout my whole life. Um, She is a brilliant woman. And so I'm constantly inspired by uh, I think brains are the sexiest muscle in the body <laughs> so I'm very inspired by her as a person and as an as a teacher watching her grow and evolve as a person it's it's really amazing to uh, idolize someone and be able to see their humanity because they're comfortable enough to admit it <laughs> and that's very inspiring to me um, my current, Teacher, I'd say that I get to practice the most with and I spend a lot of time and energy Trying to be around him as much as possible is Chad Hamron. Yeah, <laughs> I love <laughs> I call him the hammer <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: So I wanted to talk about that today um, We meditated this morning together, which was absolutely wonderful right here at Venice Beach just walked down Just to the sand, to the water, and had an amazing meditation that was led by you and Kaylee, which was absolutely great, (laughs) great group of people. Um, Then afterwards went straight to Chad's class, and as you said, he is an amazing teacher. Yeah. Um, He really takes the time to teach Hatha yoga and present it in a very authentic way.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's... uh... I love Chad. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit, but he there's something to be said about someone who's been teaching for 40 years. He's very comfortable in his skin, and uh, if you're not ready to hear what he has to say, you're not ready to be his student, and he he's okay with that. I've watched him <laughs> tell people not to come into class because they've come in too late, and I've seen people leave out of... You know, whatever reason, they leave the class early. And for most teachers, I know, I mean, I consider myself still a new teacher. Under a decade is new, Mm -hmm. I think, as a yoga instructor. Um, Although I'm pushing it. I'm getting closer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It's easy to let it be about you. And he truly, I think practices and lives his yoga. It's not about him. it's about what he's teaching, the the practice of yoga and more so uh, he has humbled me that where it's sometimes easy and I think in this vinyasa slash social media world, it's easy to get lured in by the amazing fantastic, advanced looking asanas, when in a lot of ways they're simply another stimulation and distraction and he takes the kind of more simple, seemingly simple poses and makes them so complex and adds so much depth to them that it, it really, it's changed and evolved my practice in the best way possible.
1: That's beautiful. What do you think are the qualities of a teacher who's able to do that?
0: I think that in order to convey that to your students, you have to be a student. I think that's the first rule for any amazing instructor of any subject is constant exploration and in willingness to explore it's when we get stuck in one way of doing something that things get stagnant and it's like when your mind gets gets stagnant that's when when distractions come in this world is full of distractions so i think it's really important to be able to stay present and he's a good read of of character and personality and like tries to throw you off. He's right in your face. He walks on your mat. You know, like most, a lot of teacher trainings, it's like, okay, when the students are in standing balances, don't move. Don't walk in front of them. And he'll walk inches away from your face mm-hmm. and knock you right out of the pose. And yeah. then he laughs. Yeah. And it's like, it it's taught me, okay, I have, an, I have a choice here. I can mm-hmm. react or not. And... I think that that's what I love about him so much.
1: Definitely. <laughs> I experienced that today, actually, in Ardha Chandrasana. <laughs> and he basically put his hand onto the heel of my foot and told me <laughs> to press, press forward, press forward, press forward. And I got to this point where I was pressing forward and also losing my balance. <laughs> and he's like, oh, now you're going to lose your... up! Oh, up! Oh, come on, get back up there. And it was just... It's really awesome to have someone who's able to push you outside of your comfort zone, yet at the same time be encouraging. Mm -hmm. And so it's really beautiful to see uh, a playful teacher, but Mm -hmm. someone who also provides wisdom in their playfulness.
0: It's quite, it's a quite heavy class. He's a very energetically, I think, um, and Hatha itself is a very grounded practice. You know, vinyasa is much more airy and water, mm-hmm. and uh, hatha is more fire to me. It's like you're sitting in that intensity, and you're you just have to breathe through it. And he does a good job at just being quirky and weird to <laughs> lighten the mood, to kind of break that that tenseness of the postures and of just the you can feel the room get heavy and like very tense in those moments. And then he offers you an up dog treat and you can't help but laugh and smile. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. So truth. (laughs) So of your learned experience thus far, how many hours of yoga do you think you've done?
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, Like as a practitioner? Yes. Oh geez. I don't, even know how to calculate that we can (laughs) just assume like an hour a day for the past 10 years
1: (laughs) so you've been practicing for the last 10 years yeah how many of those have been teaching
0: uh almost 7 now wow yeah since 2009
1: awesome and (laughs) from that experience of teaching for 7 years do you feel like you've gotten to a point where you would call yourself a teacher's teacher
0: hmm (laughs) <laughs> yes and no <laughs> I have things to teach I think I don't I don't know what defines teacher to me many of my students are my best teachers so uh, can I teach people things? yes <laughs> I don't know if I would call myself a teacher's teacher though hmm. I'm a open minded person's teacher
1: <laughs> definitely um, tell me about a little bit of your experience in learning from your teacher Tiffany. Yeah. And and when did that start? When did you um, look for a teacher who could bring you into the deeper practices?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I um, I started practicing yoga in L.A. Uh, obviously, where I went to school, and then after I practiced at Yoga Works
1: where did you go to school, by the way?
0: Loyola Marymount.
1: Awesome. And yeah. did you study yoga?
0: I did not, but they no. have a phenomenal yoga program, now. program there. Yeah. It's, incre- It's I think, like the best in the nation.
1: It is. It's known to be one yeah. of the best. And one of the um, main teachers there, Dr. Eden, I'm planning on interviewing yeah. sometime next week as well.
0: Yeah. And I, I would love to go back to that and just experience it. Mm-hmm. It would be such a... Kind of like a full circle. Yeah. <laughs> because my college years were not very yogic. <laughs> we can just say that. <laughs> oh, what were you doing in college? <laughs> a lot of beer bongs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I enjoy your honesty. Yes. <laughs> uh, I w- I guess I don't wish it was t- it was another way, but
1: it was fun while well, it lasted.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was definitely it was. It's part of my journey. Um, But so I started practicing at Yoga Works when I lived in L.A. after college. And that's where I met Catherine Budig. And I started practicing. I practiced obsessively yoga um, every day of the week, sometimes two times a day. Um, I'd practice about three times a week with Catherine, uh, about two to three. Uh, probably more three to four times a week with Vinny Marino. (laughs) Yep. And then about two times a week with Annie Carpenter.
1: Oh, wow. She's amazing.
0: Yeah. So I had like the, I mean, I didn't know it at the time. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't. But I was practicing with what are now some of the best teachers, I think, um, out there. And... So, I had a very unique experience coming to yoga because it was presented to me by phenomenal individuals and humans. So, uh, about, let's see, I don't know, several years, a couple years, three, four years. Yeah, about three, four years into practicing yoga, I decided after having a personal training and uh, Group fitness background that I wanted to get into teaching yoga, so I decided that Los Angeles was not the place to do that, and I moved back to Seattle, where I'm from, and got a job at the David Barton Gym, personal training, and then interviewed to teach yoga. And I studied obsessively by myself, uh, read lots of books, taught myself Sanskrit and I got the job. And when I moved back to Seattle, Catherine suggested if I had ever gone down to Portland that I take class with Tiffany, which is how I found Tiffany. We never, I never actually got to take class with her. Every time I was in town, she was out of town because she just had gotten kind of more well-known and started traveling and teaching workshops. And my friend, Robin, uh, told me she was going to do Tiffany's teacher training. And mm-hmm. at the time in Seattle, there wasn't anyone I was feeling called to as my teacher. And so I decided to just go for it. I had never met Tiffany. I would never practiced with her. But from what I had seen and and being recommended by Catherine, I, I trusted Catherine's opinion. And I did her training, <laughs> her 200-hour training. And right after that, she asked me to be an assistant, and I started assisting her 200-hour program and am now one of her senior assistants.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, working towards my 1,000-hour training (laughs) in Uh, yoga medicine.
1: And what are the aspects of Mm. her training that really call to you most?
0: Mm. She has a degree in sports medicine and Chinese medicine, So she knows the body therapeutically inside and out. And that is, it's so intriguing. As I mentioned, I was a personal trainer. I've always found the human body really um, interesting and how the mind connects with that. And so Tiffany's program is heavily, you learn the anatomy, which I think is so important in this day and age that yoga is so popular that people of all body types experiences are finding yoga and learning how to keep everyone safe to your best of your ability as a teacher is really important. And being able to answer questions about the postures, uh, confidently knowing the human body and bones and muscles and how they affect the postures, uh, is just a really interesting. I love being able to look at someone's body and be able to tell them like what leg or arm they're dominant with and or just by touching like, oh, you had a shoulder injury. And they're like, how'd you know? And it's like mm-hmm. being able to be intuitive with your eyes and your, your hands is really, it's powerful.
1: Definitely. <laughs> Intuition is key, I feel, when teaching. Yeah. Um, when do you feel like, your practice and your teaching skill allowed you to progress into someone who's well recognized in the yoga world. As a teacher and also as a practitioner, I feel like a lot of people have really amazing things to say about you. And just as a friend, I mean, in the time that I've known you since meeting you in Seattle, like, you've grown exponentially. And... When do you think that, that that little spark happened? When do you think it was like the the budding of that blossoming of your career?
0: Well, I don't think I have a choice. <laughs> That's part of it. I guess every moment you have a choice, but I, I believe that no matter where I would have tried to go in this life, uh, the universe would have led me to this point at some point in time. And it was less about choices I was making and more about choices I I wasn't making. And when the less I try to get involved, the more, um, I am able to stay on the path to being a better teacher and a huge part of one, obviously I love anatomy and alignment, but, uh, through my own experiences of, of life and mostly death, um, I've had to be my own teacher in a sense of of navigating uh, how to be a vulnerable person, how to show up as a teacher vulnerably and share share myself. Because a lot of people can you can know as much as you'd like about the human body, but if people can't connect to you, it's a it's a lost class and a lost. I it, to me. The ability to show up and be vulnerable and to share yourself is really powerful. And so through both good and bad, I think I try to let that be the theme of my teaching is sharing stories and uh, and just keeping it real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of uh, we live in a society that promotes like the light which I think there should be a lot of focus on the light, but when we focus so much on the light, then the shadows get darker, and the more we don't focus on the shadows, uh, the more heavy and dark the shadows become. So I think that a lot of people just feel so alone in this connected time of of social media, and we're so easily accessible uh, that it's like it's so easy to look and with social media you can put out whatever you want to put out but it's mostly filtered or set up in some way shape and form Um, and that can be really draining for a lot of people including myself to look at you know it's like look at how amazing everyone's life is and I think what's most interesting is maybe what's not going well in your life Mm. and being able to talk to people about that and I like the idea of Not relationships, but real relationships and being able to keep it real with people, whether you know them intimately or not, and practicing that. I don't know. I think that's what people maybe connect to. That definitely. and my smile. That's what people say. It, it's your smile. <laughs> it's definitely the smile.
1: And I will know. have you know that I've connected mm-hmm. most to the young bun. Yes. I don't know where the bun is I know.
0: anymore. <laughs> the bun The bun is making a comeback.
1: <laughs> That's good. It'll come back when you're gone, though. Goodness.
0: Yeah. you have to keep track of the bun <laughs> online. <laughs> uh,
1: I'll, I'll definitely make a visit to Seattle yes. again. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to talk about your time and your experience here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, The last time I interviewed with you was actually when you first landed here (laughs) in L.A. and you were super excited and just ecstatic about being here. Um, I wanted to talk about your experience here, what you learned and what you can take away and why you're moving back.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm really I'm excited. I'm moving back to Seattle. I've been in Los Angeles now for a year and three months and two days and seven hours. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I I moved back with the intention to see how it affected my career. Um, obviously, Los Angeles is like one of the biggest yoga centers of the world. It's, there's so much here and there's so many phenomenal teachers to study and practice with. And so I just kind of wanted, in my mind, I was traveling a lot at the time, and I thought when I was home, I wanted to be somewhere where I could practice a lot, and just kind of like be in vacation mode. Hmm. And what I I learned was that the travel life is quite exhausting for me, and that I need a good balance of being away and being home, and that Los Angeles... I love it, but it's a very stimulating city. There's lots of people, there's lots of traffic, there's lots of sun, there's just things going on all the time, and instead of refueling me, it was draining me. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) most people seek out the sun, and I found myself seeking out the shadows, and I just, uh, I literally felt powerless in my own life in lots of different ways and it showed up physically i like lost a whole bunch of strength and you know a lot of people have noticed lately they that i've uh lost a little bit of weight and for me it's a big I've never been a big person, (laughs) nor was I like 10 pounds ago. But, um, you know, I read Louise Hay's book, You Can Heal Your Life. And she talks about the gaining of weight as a protection mechanism of putting literal space between you and everything else. And um, I just have found that although I'm in one of the healthiest places in the world, (laughs) you can get so, so much uh, amazing fresh food, and you can be outside all the time and as active as you want to be. Uh, I was killing myself. Uh, I just felt my adrenals were shot. I was stressed. I was unhappy, and and Seattle is my happy place. Yeah, mm. I'm fortunate that my business can kind of be. It's wherever I am, so it's uh, just calling me and I've had a lot of shifts recently that allow me I was here mostly for a relationship and and now that relationship is is no longer so it's freed up that that space and energy to be able to move
1: definitely and would you say that with your relationship it's allowed you to grow beyond uh, a place that you were before or do you feel like, um, you're kind of like moving back to the space of being able to recuperate yourself?
0: I think every relationship is a learning opportunity. Uh, it would be delusional to say that I'm the same person now than I was, uh, at the beginning of the relationship. Of course, I've learned a lot about myself. I, um, tend to be extreme. <laughs> I'm a very like calm person, but I go extreme in lots of different ways with the asanas. It's like, I'm either like really strong or I'm like completely floppy, <laughs> a wet noodle and finding that balance. And I've um, just throughout my life, I've been abandoned a lot. So I see, you know, hurt people hurt people. And generally that, that hurt translates into your own life. And I, I, I noticed that I tend to abandon a lot of relationships uh, in my life, both romantic and not. And I found myself going to the polar extreme in this most recent relationship of kind of holding on to it for the sake of not letting go, mm-hmm. <laughs> and but still but not listening to my intuition. So it was a good learning opportunity.
1: Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that abandonment issue mm-hmm. and and how that developed and kind of um your experience in that um in the sense that were you abandoned as a child or where do you feel that that stemmed from
0: Yeah, I my father has never been present in my life, my my paternal father. Uh, when I was 3 months old, my mother asked him not to be a part of my life and I didn't think growing up that it affected me, I I grew up very fortunate. Um, My mother is amazing, she's an amazing woman, and I was surrounded by a phenomenal community with a lot of great male uh, father role models. So I wasn't lacking in that sense, I grew up very close to uh, one specific family that had two sons, so uh, although I'm an only child I've always felt like I had brothers. And a father and another mother and extended family. I've always felt very loved, but, uh, it affects you. Your childhood affects you in ways you don't know until you really go deep into the practice and self exploration. Um, and so I don't feel like when you look at my life, you would be like, oh, she was abandoned, um, a lot. Uh, but I do think it affects you as a child, you know, I don't remember asking like where my father was, it wasn't really a concern of me, because my mom was so amazing, I didn't feel like I was missing something. But there's definitely, it affects you. You know, I mean, do I wonder why he's never reached out to me? Of course. But that's his karma, and it's not mine. And all I can do is try not to hurt people in the same way that He has unintentionally or intentionally caused me harm. Um, The father figure from my childhood when I was 18 committed suicide. So that was a huge sense of abandonment uh, at a time in my life that was very challenging anyway. First semester of of college Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's probably why I... (laughs) liked to drink so much mm-hmm. <laughs> during those years that and i was in college so <laughs> <laughs> combination of the two. yeah you know it's when i look at things it's like was i probably trying to numb a lot of things yes uh, most people in my life had no idea uh the that uh, charlie is his name uh had passed away because obviously people at university don't really know you growing up Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a weird thing to bring up when you don't know people. Uh, then my friends at home were all at college as well. So it's just something that kind of happened and never got dealt with. And it definitely, uh, it affected me in a, a lot of ways. And it's, I think that's probably why I'm so passionate about talking about the dark sides. It's like, you know, most people have been affected by addiction, death, um, some of the less pleasant subjects. Uh, yet, it's not something we're supposed to talk about. Or, or when it is it does get <laughs> brought up, you know, like people ask, "Oh, where's your father?" And when I, I'm like, "Oh, he's never been around," people, I'm so sorry. It's like we have not been, as a society, trained how to deal with. That And so it's like, we just like, ah, we kind of panic. Mm-hmm. And it's and even panic. like with breakups, cover it
1: up almost, with breakups,
0: sense. people are like, I'm so sorry to hear that. But it's like, just because relationships end doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Exactly. Um, and I think that that's kind of what my yoga practice has taught me is like the most intense postures uh, can be seemingly easy Uh, are where the most profound change happens when you sit with that discomfort and realize that it's actually not that bad and that it passes. And to be able to sit with people not only in the time of great success, but also while they're moving through some more challenging times is, I think, one of the best gifts you can give people.
1: That's beautifully put. (laughs) I really enjoy the way that you said that. Um, How do you deal with the shadow side in your classes, and how do you help people who, um, I would say, have been taken by the shadow or perhaps even been more influenced by their shadow side? Um, Do you have a lot of people who come to you for advice?
0: I I wouldn't... I guess I, I have people definitely come to me for advice. I don't really... I don't share much about my story <laughs> uh, very publicly I I teach one workshop uh, called authentically you and I share a story about a lot of the the death that has occurred in my life and uh, so those people hear that story and I like to share it I like to share it with people because it to gain trust you have to give something of yourself and uh, I find I, I wrote about it a little bit in uh, Mantra magazine, and I got emails from people uh, thanking me for just even putting it out there because, you know, that a lot of people are struggling in some way and have been affected by death. And it, just to know they're not alone, It's it's so silly in so many ways that we feel so alone and like we're the only person who's ever experienced this emotion um but when we give those emotions power they become more powerful and it's like okay i understand that i it's important to feel feel emotions like feel anger like acknowledge it and then just let it let it go mm-hmm. same thing with happiness it's like all everything is fluid in life it eventually changes. Nothing is permanent.
1: (laughs) That is true. Speaking of um, things that are fluid, we did our fit flow strong.
0: (laughs) We did. (laughs) And
1: that... That was a, a Cody app that we filmed over in downtown LA, and it was absolutely wonderful. You and Bri just like led <laughs> the most ridiculous class. But I will tell you, the one thing that hasn't really left me is the pain in my butt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're not the first person to tell me that.
1: <laughs> Goodness. Um, I wanted to talk about your, your strength training and how you're... Your approach of yoga has evolved, I would say, Um, especially since when I took your classes in Seattle. Yeah. um, Completely different now, I would say, than back in the day when, what was that, two, two and a half, three years ago now? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think um, the style of the class changes based off of the theme and purpose. So... What you experienced that um, Bri and I put together a Fit Flow program on the Cody app, which was geared towards um, just a really time efficient way to get um, in some high intensity interval training as well as a strong yoga practice. And the one we most recently filmed, which you are, you are a part of, um, is was more about uh there was more fluidity in it. We moved a lot more and I I suppose, you know, in the the classes the classes I taught were much uh more movement based, mm-hmm. which I have learned um that for me life is about balance and when I do too much of like very like chad like classes, um I get kind of too, too introverted, too introspective. It's like spending too much time in my head. And sometimes it's, you have to spend time in your, your body in a, in a way that it's like, you can't really control every moment. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to just move and just keep moving and keep moving and breathing. And the flowing um, of the classes we did, I've been calling them like prana flow, Uh, because you build so much heat and and life in your Mm -hmm. body. Um, To me, it represents, uh, like, life. (laughs) You know, you just have to go with the flow. Sometimes you get knocked on your ass and you just get back up. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it, like, kind of Chad, it's how you react to falling that is most important.
1: Yeah, it's going to be funny because there's definitely a few times in that video where I full-on lost my balance <laughs> <laughs> from going from the, the full-on crescent pose to the warrior, to the to the bring the knee to the ankle, yeah. to the back up, to the forward fold. Uh, oh, goodness. Yeah. It was good, though. It yeah. felt really good to flow in that way that really brought forth strength. Yeah. Like, true strength.
0: Yeah, you need, uh, you know, I've been more flexible as i said uh and i see that it's like we rely on our natural talents a -hmm. lot which you should i mean why not let your natural talent shine and for most men it's strength and most women it's more mobility based uh but excess is excess (laughs) too much of anything is not good and so I think there's something really beautiful about finding balance. Every posture, whether it be a, something that requires great strength, like um, like Ekapada Bakasana, also requires the same amount of mobility. If you don't have the mobility, the posture is not going to happen. And same thing with like back bends. If you're just really bendy, over time you're going to hurt your spine. Um, so finding the strength in that deep range of motion, like that's some to me like finding that balance mm-hmm. um, and embodying that balance being able to be flexible when you need to be flexible and be strong when you need to be strong <laughs> That's
1: the truth <laughs> definitely and speaking of um, being strong when you need to be strong I want to hear more about um, a documentary that you watched <laughs> that has changed up how you think of um, food And I remember you saying that you watched Cowspiracy. Yes. Yeah. And so how has that helped to reveal um, a different perspective for you?
0: Yeah, it's really, it's quite interesting. I have avoided watching documentaries about food (laughs) Um, basically for 31 years of my life (laughs) because, I mean, I know, I know, a lot of what's going on in the world there's a lot of negative in the world it's kind of like why i don't watch the news like sometimes i just yeah. like focusing on on all the bad things happening doesn't make good things happen like can i focus on the, the good things or bringing more positivity um so anyway uh one of the people i really admire in the la yoga community brent Lafoon. uh Posted on Facebook that he had just watched this documentary, and uh, what I love about Brent is he is a very real person, He's and awesome. He is just rad. Like I don't generally like. I feel pretty amazing to be a woman in my, this lifetime. I'm like, it's pretty awesome. I love being a woman, uh, but if I could re come back as a man, I think I'd come back as Brent. <laughs> 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 He's just such a boss. Like. He is just a a really um, genuine human being and he keeps it real. And, you know, he had posted that he had watched it and that he suggested other people watch it. And so I did. I was like, okay, if like he's saying I should, I should. And so I watched it. Um, hoping there wasn't going to be a lot of animal cruelty, I just, I just can't stomach watching that. Um, there wasn't. I was shocked because I'm like, "Cowspiracy is going to show like all this slaughtering yeah. of cows," and um, in fact, it was it barely showed any slaughtering of animals, and it showed instead uh, the effect that the meat industry is having on the environment. And and how we're we are creating a drought by continuing to eat meat and meat byproducts, um, just because of how much space um, cattle <laughs> require to be humanely kept. So even if you're buying sustainably raised and um, fed, you know, beef or chicken, uh, it doesn't matter because it's still having a negative impact on our environment the amount of water and land that goes into growing crops to feed these animals to produce these the meat and the cheese and the milk and whatever else byproduct um, is devastating it doesn't equate to um, feeding a lot of people and there's so many people who aren't being fed and we're in this great drought whereas you take the same amount of land and plant plants uh it requires a lot less from the environment and it feeds a lot more people Mm -hmm. and um you know i've never felt personally really guilty about eating meat growing up in seattle i spend a lot of time on boats fishing and crab setting crab pots and you know a lot of the men in my family are are hunters and so i grew up eating deer and wild game um So I've never really felt like I was one of the people um, perpetuating the problem because I've been very smart about where my meat comes from when I eat it. Uh, But it's not even about eating meat. It's about the animals and trying to raise them in a mass, like in a major way to create as much meat as our society for some reason thinks it needs to be consuming. For protein or whatever else we've been brainwashed to think it is. Um, even having a conversation the other night, last night, yesterday, uh, with one of our friends, one of our mutual friends. She's like, yeah, well, I've got the blood type that needs meat. It's like, well, what blood type needs meat? <laughs> like, is there a meat gene? Yeah. No, <laughs> there's nutrients and plants have nutrients. It's mm-hmm. just being smart about what you eat. So anyway, I felt very compelled. Um, I love the the guy who created the documentary. He's like, you know, he's ri- literally riding his ass off, <laughs> riding a bike around town. So he's not, you know, driving a car. And and he's like, oh my gosh, like I'm taking short showers. And little did I know that the meat that I'm eating, it has a much bigger negative impact on the world than driving a car or the use of water in in a house. It's like, it was just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I highly, highly. I mean, I've been like, I don't I'm not a big pusher. Um, <laughs> like, but, you know, I'm a believer in planting seeds. And I'm fortunate that when I say something, people listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Generally. Because
1: <laughs> um, you keep it real. Yeah. That's what and they know,
0: about. like, I mean, you know. I'm a beer and burger type of girl.
1: (laughs) I know. That's why I was so surprised when you told me. You're like, yeah, I haven't eaten meat for like the past week. I was like, no way. And I gave you a big high five because that's, um, I feel from, I guess, knowledge is power. It truly is power because once you know something, it's like you can't go back and unlearn it, you know? And you know better than to go on... Um, living a life that's unsustainable not just for yourself but for the world because we're all in this together
0: yeah and we all have such a big impact and I guess I always thought like oh I'm fine if I eat fish but in the documentary they're like yeah well when they fish they just drag a net, and they end up only being able to sell one fifth of what gets caught and so we're ruining the ocean and it's like the ocean without the ocean we're just shit out of luck yeah. and so I just don't feel like any meat is a good solution um, I'm just not I'm not strict on like I'm this or that you know I think anytime you put a label on yourself you're um, limiting you're limiting yourself uh, to a lot of things and setting yourself up for failure so will I have meat again yeah probably <laughs> um but not in the way that I, was maybe once a month i have no idea if the i travel a lot so it's kind of hard to be super super picky all the time and so maybe that's when i'll have to have meat, or i have no idea what the future will bring but the more people i can kind of turn on to the documentary um the better in my mind Just the more eyes that get opened hopefully the more change that occurs and even i watched <laughs> i like got on a documentary kick after I watched it. I was like, I just need to keep watching things. <laughs> so I watched a TED talk, <laughs> mm. which I am like obsessed with TED talks. Um, and this guy called himself uh, a weekday vegetarian. So he eats vegetarian throughout the week. And then on the weekend, he um, allows himself to eat meat. And he was saying, if we we all ate vegetarian 50% of the time, it'd be like 50% of us were vegetarians. And it's like, if we just switch our, our mindset to like, I'm this or that and stop being so black and white and just say like, okay, five days out of seven, I won't eat meat. Um, and when you give yourself the leeway, it, I think it opens opportunity when I'm like, if I was like, I'm not eating any meat, I probably do nothing but crave meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I'm like, oh, I'll eat meat if I want it. But I mean, I've always loved vegetables, so for me, it's not a taste thing. It's mm-hmm. just a uh, something, like, feeling like my soul is filled from the food that I eat, and I mean, I love Thai and Indian food, and those <laughs> are phenomenally vegetarian, so I'm, I like, I'm in heaven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, like, like Penang mango Penang curry, rice, <laughs> Penang curry. Oh, so good. Talking
1: a little bit of samosas. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, I wanted to touch on meditation and how meditation Mm -hmm. has changed your life because this morning I had an absolutely wonderful experience in the meditation. And usually I meditate by myself, yeah, and I find that to be really effective. But it's beautiful to be in a group meditation, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your, yeah,
0: um. You know, I've had experience with meditation. It's part of Tiffany's training, uh, her classes. Uh, You meditate first before you do any of the vinyasa. And so I've experienced it and told myself I was going to bring it into my home life. (laughs) But we all know how that goes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a long list of things we'd ideally like to do daily that don't get done. Um, And I just think that it was the right timing for me. I did... My good friend, Kaylee, uh, was doing just a group meditation of our friends, and I went <laughs> to it one week, and I, I like to think big picture, <laughs> and I'm like, why limit this to just our friends? Like, let's make this community, and since we both have influence online, I was like, let's post about it on Instagram, get email addresses, you know, send out a weekly email, like, let's just offer it up and see what comes back and we have probably for about the past year been doing a weekly meditation uh either all lead it or kaylee or lead it if we're both in town then we'll both be there um and i think it's really nice starting the week off setting an intention for your week and also listening to other people's intention and sending good vibes their way. You know, the more energy that gets put towards a situation, the more likely the universe will draw it back to you. So I've found that our group has had great success in fulfilling their intentions and just being more mindful. I personally also meditate by myself um, every day, <laughs> but it is really nice to be in a community, and obviously, we do it on the beach. So sitting, listening to the waves crash, and uh, it's a really nice way to meditate. (laughs) That is the truth.
1: I wanted to ask, what does your current day-to-day look like? Like, what's a day in the life of Mackenzie Miller?
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. There is no such thing as a day in the life of Mackenzie Miller. It's always changing. I think the only consistent in my life is inconsistency. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm rarely home, wherever that is, longer than a week so it's hard to have anything be consistent um
1: so what keeps you grounded what keeps you (laughs) level-headed happy and persistent on your goals
0: uh spending time on my mat (laughs) meditating and journaling is like like, those are like i have to and i get a lot of inspiration from reading my life experiences um really i'm fueled by authentic interactions with people definitely so leaving space for that to happen
1: if you were to recommend three books to the listeners here for (laughs) yoga revealed which would those three books be
0: the four agreements uh daring greatly by Brené brown and what my last one be um, I'll go with molecules of emotions.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Never heard of that one.
0: Yeah. That's really, uh, our thoughts and emotions have a great effect on ourselves and our body. I guess I would say, Louis Hey, you can heal your life. That'd be more relevant to what I'm, what I've read recently. But yeah, if you want to go really nerdy, uh, it's very similar in some ways. Well, not similar, really, but they're <laughs> both. They both talk about how our thoughts and our emotions create our reality and our illnesses. Hmm. Uh, Louise Hay, it's definitely illness. She relates, you know, pain and injuries to in different parts of your body to certain emotions. So. For me, that's very interesting to see what comes up in your life and maybe how you're feeding into it in ways you don't know and and how our thoughts have a really, really big effect on our reality and that our thoughts don't control us. We control our thoughts.
1: (laughs) Mm, That is the truth. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> wow, thank you so much for being here on the Yoga Revealed podcast. Um for our last question, I'd like to ask you to reveal one nugget of truth to our listeners.
0: One nugget of truth like a- about me or just no, life? just about
1: life. Like one one thing that you would give to um say a practitioner <laughs> or someone who's um an aspiring yogi. To help motivate them on their path.
0: Uh, If you want to really get to know yourself, travel alone. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. I think it's something I feared a lot growing up. Uh, I, I rarely traveled as a child and young adult out of fear of not speaking languages, of not knowing where I was, just the fear of the unknown. It was crippling almost. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that an ex-boyfriend kind of made me <laughs> step outside of my comfort zone and, uh, I've never really looked back and I'm so grateful for m- the opportunities I've had to travel and learn about myself when things don't go as planned. Um, and just really going with the flow and connecting with people, uh, non-verbally when you don't speak the same language it's just a beautiful a beautiful process in the world it's such a a beautiful place and it just reaffirms that there are so many kind uh loving people out there and that people are inherently good and want to help
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, so i i would say travel like it's just builds such great character
1: awesome (laughs) thank you so much for your time much appreciated, Mackenzie. Of course. Have a wonderful day.
0: <laughs> you too. Peace. Namaste.
1: Namaste. For more inspiration by Mackenzie Miller, check out our Instagram at MackenzieYoga. You can also practice with her at the convenience of your time online on Cody App or EckhartYoga.com. Find more on our workshops and training worldwide by logging onto our website, MackenzieYoga.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Revealed Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube for more behind-the-scenes footage. Namaste, yogis.